Hey, CLC family. Um, we are here with our sermon Q&A, and we're switching roles today a little bit. Yes. Great sermon by you this past week on a great passage, yeah. but one you made really applicable. Yeah, I appreciate it. I tried. Yeah. So uh, you want to give a summary? I'm going to give you two minutes to give us a summary of yes. everything you said. Yes, and you'll notice my voice is a little hoarse today, which is why we postponed the podcast. So I'm drinking some tea to help a little bit. But yeah, two-minute summary. Um, God has done a new work. God has done something beautiful in Jesus. Uh, he's made a way for everyone to access him. Um, not by our own works, but by the grace of God. Um, however, and so that kind of creates a way into salvation that we will experience in fullness when we enter eternity. However, we don't have to wait um, until we die to experience the great work of Christ. In fact, God is very much concerned about doing something in our lives today. Uh, and I think a lot of times in Christianity, we're like, hey, I'm a Christian, and I get, just have to wait till I die. That's totally not it. Um, that's important, but God is uh, so much more than that, and God's wanting to actually bring restoration and redemption in our lives today. And so we see Paul use this verbiage in Ephesians to say, um, you are new humans. You are a new humanity, new creation, um, not just then, but right now. Uh, and that new humanity is trying to um, that gospel is trying to touch every corner of our lives. And I've said this on Sunday, and I mean it. If there are areas of our life that are unaffected by the gospel or untouched um, or unredeemed or unrestored, I would question whether or not we are getting this real gospel um, of Jesus just totally restoring everything. And so we're a new humanity. Paul is, details that in this weekend's passage uh, in Ephesians 6 um, in our relationship with parents and kids. He says, kids obey. And uh, a lot of times the teaching ends there, like, yeah, kids, you just have to obey. But no, uh, Paul is actually um, equal, uh, creating equal uh, equality between kids and parents because back then parents could really rule, especially dads. It's uh, socially acceptable for them to rule really harshly. Um, and so Paul's like, that's not the new way uh, to be human uh, and to uh, lead in those relationships. And so Paul brings equality between kids and parents and says, hey, you are both uh, creating the image of God. Um, let's treat kids like they are. And so he says, kids obey, but only uh, that exists under the conditions that parents are actually leading well as well. And so what that looks like, he says, don't, don't um, uh, exasperate your kids. Don't get them angry um, because of your own uh, unruly rage, your own um, untethered frustration. Um, but you have a role and responsibility as parents to bring them up, which in the Greek, it's like to nourish or to feed them. You have to bring them up. And uh, in doing so, uh, you do that with the instruction and admonishment of the Lord. And so you give them teaching. I'm a little over. But essentially, yeah, new way to be human. Um, the, if the gospel is good news, it's touching everything, even our relationships with our kids. And it's redeeming that. And so it's a beautiful picture. I don't see why anyone would be opposed to that. It's a really cool thing that Paul is kind of writing about. So... Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. I you're exceeded you're the time three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm using, you know, modern technology. Christian is a little behind the times. <laughs> Ironically, the yeah. yeah. Behind the times. Using the, the analog there. Yeah. So great <laughs> yeah. summary. Great yeah. summary. Shall we dig into questions? Because you yeah. did get <clears throat> quite a few. Yes, and, yes, yes, um, yes, yes. So one of the questions, um, how do you convince a child that obedience is an expression of love, respect, honor, or trust is a beautiful picture? Yeah, that's a really good question because on over the 
sermon, I did say like um, this, this idea of kids obeying their parents, but with the understanding that parents are instructing their kids. And uh, it's such a beautiful picture. Like if, if kids, I think a lot of times I said this on Sunday, um, some dads might be like, hey, it works when I'm really hard on my kids, right? Um, but I said, hey, you know, I don't know if it works in the way that you think it does. It might have the appearance that it works, but I think kids obeying out of fear or anger or hatred or distrust I would sell. I wouldn't call that obedience necessarily. Um, it's more of an obligation. Whereas God's picture here is that kids have such a beautiful relationship with their parents um, uh, that you know can be characterized as trusting and loving and caring that they obey because those characteristics are there. And so um, the question's kind of in regards to like how do we show our kids that actually their obedience is, is meant to be a beautiful picture uh, and you know our parenting of them is meant to be a beautiful picture and I did say, take some notes because it's such a good question uh, so I'm going to refer to the, some of those um, but I think communication is like a big thing I think a lot of times what happens nowadays in my understanding with teenagers is that um, teenagers are learning to communicate especially as they're developing cognitively and socially um, but I think sometimes we expect them to communicate like adults would um, and that's not terribly helpful. And so what I, the image that I have in my mind, it's like, it's like we're trying to build a relationship with another country. Um, if, and you build a bridge between your country and that country. What you can expect is that country speaks a different language. They have different cultures, different values, different um, social norms, right? Uh, and if we are wanting to build a bridge with them, then it would be our responsibility to kind of cross that bridge and get to know their world a bit um, so that we can better understand them, care for them, and serve them. So that metaphor applied to teenagers. They speak a different language, have different values, different social norms, like all these things. And if we want to really communicate effectively with them, um, there's some sacrifice on our end that I think is necessary. And so we build the bridge we cross over and say hey t let, teach me about like what you guys value like help me understand because um, not, not a lot of times you know in some cases maybe some parents aren't having those conversations and so trying to build that communication is a, a huge thing and understand how they communicate a little bit um, so it's just really important so the second thing is um, we show them right I think it's easier to it's harder to try and convince someone through words um, than it is to just show them with our lives, right? And so if I want them to see that this could be a beautiful thing, then like this this arrangement that Paul's writing about, then we try and model that to them. Um, so for example, you know, if we're trying to, if we want to create a household that's so loving that when a kid fails, they're not afraid to come home to tell dad, but they actually are like, I need to tell my dad because I need him to know this. And so then the dad's got to respond in a way that's not like exasperating, like Paul writes about, which is anger and frustration that really does very little good except give dad an outlet to be angry. And anger's not a bad thing, by the way. I talk about that in the sermon on Sunday. But we got to create a space where they, they have that, um, that nourishment, that safety to come approach us about difficult things. And then we show them grace and compassion. Um, and then still follow that up with good instruction and admonishment in a new way. I talked about on Sunday, Paul has even said, the way you discipline kids, you're allowed to discipline them. We need to. That's kind of part of the process. However, even that has to look different. It can't be just an expression of your anger so you have an outlet, but rather it's something more beautiful like, hey, I want you to learn and grow. And so we have to have some parameters and some discipline here. And so we show them um, all the time. We're going to get it wrong, and that's okay. Another thing that I, that I think is important if we want them to see these beautiful pictures, we let them fail. Um, I we talk about this sometimes in youth ministry and kind of in our CLC parents class. Failure is such a good teacher that I think a lot of times, and I'm sure I'll be the same way, we want to protect our kids from. And so I think if we create spaces or let them kind of experience failure to some degree. For example, if I, you know, um, 
uh, I shared a story about my dad, like, with gasoline on Sunday. If I failed in that case, I would have, like, burned my hands off, which wouldn't have been a good experiment to fail in. Um, but let's just say, you know, uh, um, there's, like, a relationship situation or something where our kids are, you know, we give them instructions say, hey, you know, in my experience, I would strongly recommend you do this because A, B, and C, right? And they're like, you don't know what you're talking about. No, wrong, whatever. And then they go do their own thing. And then, you know, per your expectations, maybe they fail in that situation and the consequences aren't like detrimental. Um, then they might come back to you if there's a trusting relationship, open communication, say, hey, you were right. Like, I really appreciate you looking out for me. I'm learning that maybe you know more than I think you know. And so I'm gonna listen to you maybe next time. So letting them fail is a good kind of experiment in that as well. Uh, and then, um, then the last thing I wrote, which is probably the hardest thing, is um, anticipating the autonomy. So kids are, when they get older, experimenting with being individuals and kind of that's what we want right we we don't want them to be dependent on us well into their 20s or something like that right and so they're going to be experimenting with their autonomy which means there's going to be some room for failure and growing and learning um but we have to anticipate that so they're they're going to push back a little bit um which is i'm sure it's heartbreaking right now my girls like smile when i walk in the room right um, i'm sure when they're older one day they're that's not going to be the same case and so um our kids are or they're growing into to young adults they are going to be practicing autonomy experimenting with um, with what that means to be independent of their parents and so what we always tell parents in our CLC parents class is man um, what if you could make an arrangement somehow of one other adult that you trust um, to pour into the life of your teenager or your young adult um, like you know how many other adults could your teenager name uh, that cares for them and so if there's another adult in your life because it's funny sometimes kids will listen to other adults instead of their own parents um, but if you know another adult who's, you know, you could say, hey, can you support my kid in this or champion him or even check in? Um, that can be another really good touch point of them being kind of supported, even as they're experiencing their uh -huh. autonomy from you. So all of those collectively, it's a really hard question to answer. It's a really good question. But I think those things collectively, it's not more of a, a check here, check here, check here. And they're going to understand that it's a beautiful arrangement. But I think it's a myriad of showing them and letting them experience failure. And then, of course, every kid's different. So it's going to look different for them. But I don't know. That's a lot. Would, uh, anything to add there? Or uh... Yeah, I mean, I just always think the goal, the goal is actually to shepherd the child's heart. You know, so mm -hmm. it's like they say. You know, uh, a person persuaded against their will yeah. is of the same opinion still, and like, mm -hmm. so it's you really want to, but there are there definitely are those times where it's like obedience. When your girls are about two and they're running around with forks to stick them in, uh, yeah, you know, outlets, outlets yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you know, you don't need to explain. But I do think you know, as they get to be eleven, twelve, thirteen, um, and there are restrictions, you know, you want to engage them and you want to yeah. persuade them, or at least. Make them feel yeah. that it's reasonable. Yeah. So I think that's part of what is not exasperating. They yes. feel like they have yes. some agency. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Great. Even processing that with them too, like having a dialogue, because sometimes growing up, it's like this is going to happen because I told you so. Um, but as they get older and they actually start to think more critically and can actually ask questions and push back, engage that. Like let them do that, even if we're still saying, hey, yeah, you know, I see your point, but you know. I think dad is still right in this situation and this is why we're going to give you this instruction. So yeah, really good stuff. Yeah. yeah. So you made the point, you know, that children are addressed directly. So they're assumed, you know, to be right there, which is, yeah. is very radical. Yeah. But we have a question. Uh, how does this apply to someone without kids? Someone who isn't a parent? Yeah. 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 Um, 
I, I, yeah, it was a really good question uh, that I got right after the sermon. And it's funny, the night before, like, you know, whenever you're prepping a sermon, you could literally be working on it till like minutes before and still feel like you're not done. And so that Saturday night, I was just kind of finishing up, kind of practicing some parts of it. And then I thought to myself, holy cow, this is nothing to say about any of our other relationships because there are people in this space who aren't parents, who, um, who don't have kids, right? And so I was like, oh man, I, I kind of a weak spot that I missed there. But um, I think there's some values to kind of uncover in this too, um, right? Because uh, it's a new humanity that we're participating in, which means it doesn't apply just to parents and kids, but just really all of our relationships. And so I was trying to think of other like uh, areas in our life where there's maybe might be a power dynamic situation where what it would it look like for the gospel to even touch that. So if you are an employer at a, at a you know organization or a business, like how could this reflect in your leading of teams as well? Um, so like, you know, uh, maybe not exasperating your staff, um, but it's just trying to have like very um and obviously i don't run a business so i don't know like you know i don't know the ins and outs and all that stuff um but all that to say like this should even redeem some of our relationships um you know as leaders in any business or organization um how are we instructing them and guiding them and trying to kind of build them up um without tearing them down for the sake of it um especially it's easier i don't know if it's easier maybe it's easier with kids that's why paul's writing about it but i think sometimes whenever there's kind of a um uh, we have a leadership responsibility, kind of a higher platform. It's easy um, to kind of uh, let that live itself out and how we treat people as like, I'm higher or something like that. So I think it should influence even our those relationships and conversations that we have with people um, you know, in our workplaces. Another thought um, that I wrote was, you know, uh, I think we're reminded, I tried to kind of unpack that we are complex human beings with various needs. And it doesn't just apply to kids, but it applies to adults. And so what does it look like in the different um, areas that we're at to nourish each other and bring each other up, right? I might not be raising my friends, right? They have their own parents, but I still get to do life with my friends. And so what does it look like as a friend to be a good friend, to help raise people up and nourish them and care for them in a way that meets their needs, in a way that maybe they're looking for a friend to fill in? I have a really good friend. We talk weekly and stuff. Um, and it's been, the, the conversations are really, really nourishing and life-giving um, because we, we understand we're, like the more we get to know each other, we understand we're complex human beings, right? And so we, um, it's been very nourishing because we speak to some of those um, different uh, areas in our life, right? And so I'd say like we can help build almost anybody out. Like we have, as long as we're kind of in contact with people, we can, um, you know, uh, when they enter our space and leave our space, hopefully they're feeling a bit more built up. And so how we treat people, how we care for people, um, you know, even how we think of those around us, like, hey, I know I only work with you and you're my colleague, but I know you're also a mom. I know you're also, um, you know, a sister, a daughter, and I know you're going through some stuff. So, hey, what can I do to support you? And so it's just remembering we're complex human beings, um, that there's a God who wants to speak life into all, every corner of our life. And so what does it look like in our workplaces, um, you know, specifically? but then just any other place that we're interacting with people. Are we, um, are we building them up? Are we nourishing them and seeing them as complex human beings that need grace just like us? Um, and how are we kind of letting that live out, live out through us? So I don't know. That's kind of a thought around that. But that's a really good question because Paul's kind of writing specifically to the family unit here. Um, however, there's some kind of value in this that I think can um, cover other areas of our life as well. So, yeah. yeah, it's a pretty cool vision of God you set forth in terms of that God actually cares about not just the obedience, the outward yeah. stuff, but he really cares about the way the heart impact of that. Oh, yeah. Child. So that has implications for church, mm-hmm. for coaching a team, 
for yeah. any area of authority, you know, maybe not the military, but, you know, yeah, like sure. every, yeah. like, you know, when there, there's unique training, I think, that goes on there. I've thought about that. Like maybe, though, you certainly, you know, great leaders in military history have had the affection of their troops because yeah. their troops know, like, they would lay down their lives for yeah. that team. So, yeah. so awesome. Here's, here's another one. Yeah. Um, really good questions today. Um, there's a great debate going on in the house. When is a child not a child? From a biblical standpoint, uh, we are always supposed to honor our parents, but is the obey command until a child comes of age? Yeah, for their life. That's a really good question, right? Like, I can imagine some like seventeen-year-old uh, or eighteen-year-olds asking this question, like, when when am I off the hook, right? Um, more in a, in a comical way. Um, but yeah, great question. I was kind of wrestling through this one. So the first part of the question um, is, uh, you know. Uh, when is a child not a child from a biblical standpoint? I think that's a harder question to answer because I think a lot of times we define the, the definition of a child is more bound by culture because even in, and you could correct me if I'm wrong because I could be wrong. Um, I even know like the understanding of kids in the Bible like um, was different than kids today because right now we have an education system that they're in until they're 18. And usually they're perceived as kids until they like kind of finish that, turn 18, and boom, they're off to whatever's next. Um, back in biblical times, they did not have like grade school or elementary school um, that kind of stopped at some point and boom, they were into the real world. They kind of just grew up and assumed some responsibilities in the household and maybe depending on how they did that, like because um, kid adults, I think the age was even a lot lower in biblical times, right? We, I think a lot of the disciples were almost in their teenage years, but we never think of them like that. Um, and so from a biblical standpoint, I would say it's more of, hey, you know, what's the cultural idea here? But even then, I think, um, I think uh, there's some nuance to that, which I could have probably provided a bit more clarity to on Sunday. Because um, I thought of the word, you know, obey is to listen attentively with hopefully the intent to follow, right? And so the hope is that kids are always, you know, if there's that trust, that loving relationship, there's always some space for them to be like, I'm really curious about what my parents may have to say about this. However, what changes over time is, um, you know, kids as kids, my girls are now are totally dependent, right? But as they get older, there's kind of a shift in a paradigm where they're growing a bit more independent and a bit more independent to the point where they are on their own independent. And so what does it look like to listen attentively through those life stages? And I actually remembered a resource that I thought was super helpful that I'll share real quick. It's kind of a paradigm or a way to think about that. And um, I'll even mention here, I don't think age is like the, the number or the age is the qualifying factor or the thing we look to. I think a lot of times it depends on where our kids are at and kind of, um, you know, their maturity level. So let me go over this um, kind of paradigm, this tool that's helpful, and then kind of revisit some one other thing. Um, there's a book called Growing With. It is um, by the Fuller Youth Institute, and they talk about what does it look like to grow with our kids because our kids are changing, and so the way we're teaching them is also changing as they're growing. And so um, they came out with this really helpful paradigm that I thought was really cool, and I think it should guide everything we do with teenagers. Um, but they gave three different phases of maybe our interactive relationship with our kids in terms of bringing them up. The first stage is like what they call the student-teacher phase. And this is when, um, you know, they we are leading them. They're behind us following us. We're giving them instruction, giving them uh, kind of homework. We are giving them uh 
basically their full instruction um, to which they hopefully receive that. We are teaching them and they are the student. That's kind of the first idea. Right now, my girls aren't learning a ton, but in the next couple of years, as they're learning to speak and walk, um, it's a teacher-student. I'm trying to teach them and they are simply responding. That's the first thing. Now, as kids get older and they grow into more autonomy and independence, that relationship might change as they mature. And the next example or kind of metaphor they gave was a guide and an explorer. Now what it looks like, imagine you're going on a hike. Um, I might be the guide, but the explorer's right next to me. They're no longer like right behind me, but they're kind of right next to me. We're journeying together. I know the terrain pretty well. They might not, but they have more responsibility. I'm not going to carry their bag for them. They're responsible for carrying their bag. They can also venture down a path and I might say, hey, I know down that path are some thorns. You're more than welcome to check it out, but be aware, right? So they have a bit more decision-making and autonomy. They're probably going to fail a little bit because they might go down a path and say, yeah, that wasn't the greatest idea. Let me go back to the guide, right? And so that's kind of this weird phase of they're learning what independence is like. Um, they're learning kind of how to lean into those areas. And, you know, I'm still giving instruction. The hope is that they trust me enough to listen to that instruction, you know, uh, to listen attentively, right? Um, and so I'm kind of still giving that. Um, but it might not be with the expectation, like, you know, if you don't do this, I'll be mad, right? Um, and so there's a, that kind of relationship. And that I kind of characterize that as like maybe high school years, late high school years as well, as, as students are really developing into their autonomy uh, and growing cognitively and socially. And then the last thing is kind of this idea of like uh, in our culture when they launch into young adulthood, the relationship, what it looks like is um, what the book calls uh, focuser and resourcer. Our, our kids are focusing on what they're going to do in this next stage of life and we are resourcing them. And so what this looks like is our kid is now in front, they are kind of doing their own thing and we are here cheering them on, champion, championing them uh, and our role is to kind of resource them along the way because if you have an 18 or 19 year old kid, you might be able to you might tell them what to do, but they're like, hey, I'm not, I'm not a kid anymore. Uh, and so they might not just obey, right? They're not under our household. However, hopefully there's a, a trusting relationship there where you say, hey, you know, I've been in this situation. If I could offer some advice, this is what it would be. Um, and then they would kind of hopefully, and they trust you and they're like, hey, I appreciate that intel. Let me lean into that. But the relationship changes. And I think um, our instruction stays the same or it's, our instruction kind of stays the same a bit. However, the way they respond to it as they're growing into independent human beings will change. Uh, and I think it's still obedience along the way, so long as, again, it's built on the foundation of trust, love, and, and respect, right? Um, but, you know, and, and these are just paradigms, right? People are much more complex than I'm making them to be in this. But I think our role is to continue to um, to be the teacher, to be the guide and the resourcer. That our roles are gonna our role is gonna change a bit. And um, hopefully, if it's built on trust and respect and love, they will receive any instruction that we have. Even though, like a you know, a 20 year old child um, may not be expected to respond in the same way that my five year old eventual five year old daughters will be expected to respond. So. Um, yeah, and again, that's not contingent on age. I know some really young students who are probably more in the focus or resourcer stage because they're very mature and growing. But then I know some older kids. I know some adults who are still like you know, at the lower level stages too. So I'm um, not totally black and white. There's some gray there. But if that could answer any clarity about when, what that process looks like, that's what I might offer. It's a long-winded way to say it, but um, that got, that one got me wrestling a lot. I don't know. Any thoughts? Yeah, uh, well, I just think one one handicap I think we have is we don't have a culture where the passageway to yeah. adulthood is really clear. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I think it. I've seen, and I think 
we att- one of the things we attempted to do was kind of be more self-conscious about that yeah and the, and with the privilege and the whole idea that hey we are going to allow you to make decisions in yeah. which you may make some choices that put risk in yeah. the whole equation and yeah. all that so um but it, that's white knuckle parenting yeah too. yeah um where you have to trust god and you know and trust your kids to god because yeah you know i made those kind of choices also yeah and, right and they're learning experiences yeah yeah so I made some um, really bad decisions and and uh, against my parents' instruction, and I was like, ah, they were right. <laughs> they had that down, and I got it wrong. Um, but sometimes that's where the lesson or the admonishment and the consequences come about too, as they're older. Because you yeah. know you don't see a lot of parents grounding their twenty-three-year-old. Maybe unless the twenty-three-year-old still lives in the house, but I, I don't know. But um, so yeah, it changes over time, and I think. We have to just be so aware about where they're at developmentally uh, and let our instruction and guidance kind of um, accommodate for that so that the ultimate goal is that they are growing um, into just who God is calling them to be, that they're growing into their own new humanity and that they're growing in love and faith of Jesus. Um, and so uh, the end goal is not just to discipline for discipline's sake, but it's, hey, how am I, how are you being shaped and formed and how are you learning? Um, yeah, it's very, it's very convoluted, especially because every kid is so different. Um, and so that's why attention and sensitivity and presence is such a huge thing. So, yeah. Yeah, there's a phrase in Proverbs with the instruction to fathers to send where the father says, my son, give me your heart. Hmm. You know, and just like the whole idea of connecting with that child, you know, and maybe Proverbs is the closest we get to intergenerational yeah. instruction. Yeah. A, yeah. a manual yeah. for... For youth, but um, yeah, great, great answers. And you get to yeah. live that. You get everybody gets to give you their teens, and they say, "Christian, <laughs> yeah. you do it. Yeah, you make yeah. them yeah. great." And yeah, very hard to do in a couple hours a week, but it's such a gift. And I, you know, I got to give a lot of credit to our students; they're awesome, and but, they've been very gracious to teach me a lot of this stuff too. So let me just throw this out at you. Yeah. I mean, I don't, we've not talked about this before, but I, I have known parents who were maybe authoritarian and they yeah. really needed that exhortation to not yeah. exasperate, right? Yeah. But I think it's been more common in my experience to know parents who just like totally take the hands off yeah. all guidance. Is that your, what yeah. would you say to that? There was like, I heard the, there's two phrases. I heard there's a helicopter parents who are like really like strict and kind of like over everything. But now I hear the new term in the last few years is lawnmower parents where the lawnmower parents are like, I just want my kid to like enjoy life. And, and obviously we all do, that's not a bad thing, but they will um, kind of like go the opposite side of the pendulum real quick and be so hands off, maybe not as present and like, um, uh, and so the idea is like they're, instead of you cutting the grass, I'll cut the grass, right? Um, and so they're lawnmower parents, they kind of assume any um, risk or any, any like okay hardship that a kid might experience, right? If they, if their teacher writes home and says, "Hey, your your kid's struggling in this," like they failed this or their discipline reason or discipline issue, they may not go to the kid and say, "What's going on?" They'll go to the teacher and say, "Hey, I think you have it wrong." And so I think, um, yeah, it's hard because the pendulum was at one point where maybe it was kind of like uh, maybe harsh to the kids, but I think in in today's culture, I see, maybe see a lot of like the opposite side where we're just like so hands off um, and we expect our kid to figure it out to that's why we go to just drop them off at church that's why you know they got their phones and google everything um, and so that's not a great model for for like a new paradigm uh, instead of exasperating because the picture that Paul's painting is we're still very much involved um, 
I'm responsible for the training of my kids. Yeah. Uh, I don't give that to someone else. I'm allowed to have other people help, but it's still my responsibility to bear the the grunt of that work, right? And so um, I think the the way the pendulums come has not been a healthy alternative. Um, maybe we lose the exasperation part of it, but I think the hands off is not, not also not a really good model. Um, we have to find a middle ground where um, it's just like we're so involved and we admonish with great love and instruction. Um, and so, yeah, I do find that a lot of parents tell us, I don't know how to do that. Like, I just don't know what it looks like. Um, that's why I say, you know, community is a really good thing. Learn from people around you. We have our CLC parents group. I should have mentioned this on Sunday where we wrestle through these very things. It's a bunch of imperfect parents who are like, I don't know what I'm doing. Let's figure it out together. So really great space where we do that. It's been life giving. Um, but yeah, that's a really good, good, uh, reality that you bring up like we do live in a culture where maybe it is a bit more hands-off and that's not a not a good solution yeah my kids turning 16 i'm buying a lamborghini sports car yeah giving them lots of money what could possibly go wrong yeah oh my gosh i've seen that and um yeah i've even seen uh yeah seen parents protecting their kids from all the risks of the decisions they make and and while i understand and i granted i've not experienced that yet but while i understand you want to protect your kids but like they got to learn in some ways they learn through this, this small fail failures that don't have a lot of, you know, huge consequences attached to them. Um, but yeah, we, we're trying to train them and instruct them to be individuals who will no longer be under our house, our roof in so many years. Um, but we want them to thrive in this new humanity that God's invited us into, which is so beautiful. And we want them to, um, grow in their faith and understanding of how God is actually working in the world. Um, and that, cannot happen by accident like it has to take our being intentional um and it takes a lot of time too so um yeah really hard but um i also think the best and best journeys in life are the hardest um and just take the most work i kind of i was going to use this in sunday too like you know when um when michelangelo did all his beautiful artwork right he could have like sped it up but it would have lost so much beauty and quality and i think that's the same in our own relationships right it just takes so much time and effort and resources um to be hands-on but what when we do like something beautiful is produced by that so yeah awesome yeah yeah great thoughts yeah it makes me you know encourage that if i've ever been exasperated by god it's uh not his fault it's my yeah. fault yeah he does not he doesn't operate that way yeah and I just think, like, also, I have to ask myself the question as a parent, am I obeying God? Yeah, yeah. Like, am I, do I have the courage to lean into a text? And that's, I think for us who preach the word, that yeah. is always like, where am I obeying God? Where am I surrendering yeah. up my will to yeah. his wisdom yeah. and moving forward? And, just, yeah. and I want my kids to see that yeah. and to see some of the struggle I have with yeah. that, too. Yeah. Um, it's a sermon we preach to ourselves. Every sermon I preach, I'm like, this is for me. I need this. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Great. I'm really grateful for uh, the team here at CLC, though, yeah. and your leadership at CLC Appreciate and it. influencing our teens, but also having a heart for parents. Yeah, yeah. You know, and realizing that we can't just create a cul-de-sac where we yeah. take care of teens. Yeah. We're, we're concerned about the whole family. Yeah, it takes it takes a village, it really does, and especially because we only have the kids for two, three hours a week, and can't really get much done in that time because so fast. you get some good stuff done but that's why parents you guys have a great responsibility so yeah yeah i love the i feel like there's just really good leadership on your part yeah, and there's a good it. team around them yeah. and uh you know some of the teens 
uh, that I, as I've gotten to know them, just, it's really fun to be around them. Yeah, they're great. So, I love teens. They're so good. Yeah, I do <laughs> they're too. crazy, but yeah, they're awesome. We <laughs> loved our kids' teen years, yeah, and yeah. I love our kids now. And yeah. you know, I think that's part of the the whole picture of beauty yeah. is to just make that heart connection and love your teens according to who they are. Yeah, you know? yeah, amen. Yeah, appreciate that. So awesome. Yeah, I guess thanks for joining us. Yeah. Anything else at all? I mean, we have um, Belle in the studio, but Belle yeah, is a beautiful, do you hear her well-behaved right now. I do. <laughs> My dog's in the studio. Uh, if she weren't snoring, I'd try and pick her up. I beautiful know, dog, I wake though. her up? I could wake her up. I'm right. I don't know. <laughs> uh, maybe tune in next time. We might have another dog. Here. I think that'd be great. We'll just start bringing our dogs to the we podcast. Should. <laughs> we should. That'd be great. Um, well, hey, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Great sermon in store for this Sunday. Um, so sh- be sure to show up. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll see you on Sunday. Awesome. All right. Great. Take care, y'all.